Last week, Paul talked about the spirit of sonship, and it got me thinking about it. So we're going to spend some time over these next few weeks exploring this whole idea of sonship. I had a brilliant time earlier this week, just um, in the Word, really, and just it felt like fireworks were going off in my mind as I was reading it, and I'm like, flipping heck, that's good, um, which is a beautiful thing. Is it still a bit booming and echoing? Is this in the right place? I think so. Okay. So we are going to talk about something, but we're going to start off in John chapter 17. Uh, this is, John 17 is basically a long prayer of Jesus just before he gets arrested and taken to be tried and later killed. And he's talked, uh, he's prayed for himself, and then he prays for his disciples, the people around him, and then he starts praying for uh, us, basically, and he says this. Uh, My prayer is not for them alone, in other words, not for the disciples. I pray also for those that will believe in me through their message. It's fascinating, isn't it, that when you see something, you can't unsee it. So I've been talking about ambassadors for the last three months, and as soon as I read that, it jumped out at me. Those who will believe in me through their message. The message they will carry into the world. The message they will share. The message they will say. The message they will speak. And I just love Jesus' faith. He doesn't say those who might. He says, no, those who will. They will believe in me through their message. That's not really what to do with what I'm talking about, but it just struck me. So that all of them may be one. Just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us. So the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me. That's profound when you understand it, as you will later on. That they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Now, there's all sorts going on in these verses. There's at least three different major themes going on. Uh, The first theme that's going on is one of oneness. Have we got that next one there, Matt? I know you're trying to do three things at once. So, he says, I pray that those who will believe in me, that all of them may be one. That's a big prayer, isn't it? Jesus prays that we'd all be one. And then he says that they may be one as we are one. So he's going, Father, you and me are one. What does that mean? Well, we'll explore that. I want them to be one as we are one. And then he says, so they may be brought to complete unity. That's the Father's heart that we may be one. And of course, I've been saying for a long time that the heart of the gospel is that you would be first of all restored to Jesus, restored to yourself, and restored to other people, which is oneness. Being restored to who God made you to be, that's being one with yourself. Being restored to Jesus, that's being made one with Jesus. And being restored to other people is being one with other people. And um, there's this incredible sense of unity, which of course is what he says back there. It's part of our vision from Ephesians 4, that we would all come to the unity of the faith. So unity, that's a big theme, this idea of oneness, what it means to be one. Then togetherness is another one on the next one, Matt. Just as you are in me and I am in you. So there's all sorts of strange things going on there. As we are one, you in me, even as you have loved me, there's this sense of togetherness and they're in one another and they're a part of one another. But then there's a specific purpose of this oneness and togetherness. It says... I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, so the world may believe that you have sent me. And apparently this oneness and this togetherness 
will result in the world will know that you sent me and have loved them. So it seems Jesus doesn't ask that miracles are going to happen or even that 24-7 prayer is going to happen or that everybody's going to know the Bible. He just goes, when people are one, then the whole world will know. The whole world will know when actually they are one. It seems the oneness Jesus the Son has with his Father is also something he wants for us. It seems that oneness with Jesus and with one another was Jesus' prayer for us. And Paul said on Sunday last week that the seed of sonship is in each one of us, but we are responsible for cultivating the ground in which that seed grows. We can have the seed of sonship, but remain children all our lives and never grow into sons. And I want to, that, that sentence there is like about five teachings, so, which I love because he just kind of gives me a springboard. I love it. And, um, and I want to explore what th- this idea of sonship, what's that all about? What does it mean to be a son to a father in heaven? What does that mean for our relationships on the earth? And here's why it's important. Because when I use the term sonship, I use it to describe the biblical model for healthy relationships, healthy discipleship, and satisfying and meaningful church life. Most people are dissatisfied with church life because they've not learned what it is to walk as a son. And if you've not learned to walk as a son, it becomes very dissatisfying. Because the relationships you walk in end up being quite shallow and unfulfilling. And of course, for a lot of people, that's not their fault because nobody ever told them that. Or, or if they did tell them it, nobody ever modelled it as to what it might actually mean to walk in sonship. And we talk about fathers and sons because that's the language the Bible uses. But of course, it's not a male-only thing. It is for all of us. The reason the Bible talks about sons and fathers is two reasons. First of all, it was written 2,000 to 4,000 years ago when women were property, basically. So no biblical writer would think to talk about a daughter because they meant nothing. It wouldn't make any sense to anybody. That's why God's primarily a father because the father's the boss, the father's in charge, the father's the one who it rests all on, and sons get an inheritance. So you didn't want to be a daughter, you wanted to be a son. Of course, we're now in the 21st century and we understand equality and all that sort of stuff and it applies to everybody. So when I talk about fathers and sons, I'm not excluding anybody. When I say fathers, I mean mothers. When I say sons, I mean daughters. But biblically, that's how it comes across because the stories we have are of men because principally, although there are stories of women in there as well, which when you think about it is profound. It is profound, the amount of women that actually are in the Bible and the things they go up to and the things they did. Because yeah. it is, of course, ahead of its time, even though it's in its time. But I just, I want to kind of say up, up front, if I, if I revert to father-son, it's not that I'm excluding women or daughters or mothers. I, it's just a, a phrase of language, and it gets a bit tiresome going fathers and mothers and daughters and sons every single time you have to say it. So you know my heart, I'm, but it's important, because language is important. God, of course, is also mother and father, and uh, you are a daughter, but you're also a son. Um, so, let's start with showing you where this spirit of sonship comes from. Uh, Romans 8, 15 to 16, and Galatians 4, 4 to 7. This is Paul writing to the church in Rome, and then separately to the church in Galatia. Oh, that's not the zip. The spirit you received, notice it's something they've already received, does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received, again, something they've already got, brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. 
the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts. The Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer slaves, but God's children. And since you are his children, he has also made you heirs. So twice Paul talks about this thing that you've already received. And in fact, he says to the Galatians, he has sent the spirit of his son into your heart. So I suppose you could think of the spirit, don't, don't think of it like some horror movie, think of it as like the essence, the heart. Think of it as that way, okay? It's not spooky or freaky, it's like, the ability to be like him, the seed, if you like, that has all the DNA to be like him, that's already in your heart. So the spirit of sonship is in your heart, and, and Paul rightly likens it to a seed that's in your heart, but you'll know if you've grown seeds, if you don't look after the soil, they don't grow. Water it too much, it will rots. Don't water it too much, nothing happens. So you have the ability to grow up into everything God called you to be, and whether you grow up or not, you are his child and he loves you. So it's got nothing to do with how much he loves you, how much he cares about you, what he thinks about you. That's, that's got nothing to do with whether you choose to activate this seed on the inside of you. Because whether you activate it or not is about benefiting you, not him. It's really all about you, not him. Because he cannot change what he thinks about you because he's an unchanging God. Nothing you do, whether good or bad, makes him think more wonderfully or less wonderfully about you. Because he is unchanging in nature. And he loves you in incredible ways, and more than I'd even realized, as I'm going to show you later on. So this is not about him. It's not about pleasing him or making him happy or putting a smile on his face or, you know, trying to keep Dad happy up there. All right, this is about you learning to live life to the full and learning to walk in healthy relationships despite what those around you do. That's what I've realized. That the, the more you walk in knowing the more you walk in knowing you're a son to the Father and a Father, the more you walk in this kind of peace that doesn't really fade depending on what goes on around you. Because the more you are secure in who God made you to be and you're less bothered about what else goes on around you. That's why it's important for you. And according to Ephesians 1 verse 5 and Romans 8 29, Ephesians 1 5 says you are predestined for adoption to sonship. And Romans 8, 29 says you are predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So what, what, is, what is God's desire for your life? Is that you'd be like Jesus. That be adopted as a son. That's the only thing. If you ask me what does God want for my life, he wants you to be like Jesus. And once you work that out, everything else works itself out. It's not like God's going, well, I want you to go here and go there and be with this person and live in this house and do this job and then quit that job and then get this credit card out and don't get the overdraft. No, he wants you to be like his son. Because yeah. once you're like his son, that'll just all fall into place. It's just, it just falls in easily. Because then you know his heart and you know what he's like and then you, you live life in this free way. So the heart of God is you would be like his son, which is why he placed the spirit of his son on the inside of you. So he's already done everything that's necessary for you to be like Jesus. Of course, there are lots of hurdles along the way, and we'll talk about them in coming weeks. But the desire of God is only that, a desire. He cannot and will not make you into something you choose not to be. He desires it, 
And he has made it possible, but you have to choose it. This is how he loves us. He allows us to choose what we want to be. That is love. Allowing somebody a choice is love. Anything that involves a lack of choice is not love. God's key desire for us is that we be like his son. And when you think about it, it's pretty amazing that God is both father and son. So, so we, we say that God is trinity, is three in one, which is way more above my pay grade in terms of explaining it. But I understand it like this. God has three distinct persons. He is a father, he is a son, and he is the Holy Spirit. And there's three separate things, and they all have separate roles. And it's not always easy to grasp, but don't worry about grasping it. Just understand there are three distinct persons, and that in them all, they express the fullness of life. They are all of one heart and one spirit, therefore they are all equal. And that's really important. They're all equal. There is no hierarchy between those three. They're all equal. And it's really important because if you think there's a hierarchy and you want to mirror it, that means there must be a hierarchy on the earth. But there isn't, because there's no hierarchy in heaven. They're all equal, of the same heart and the same spirit, but they do different things. And they serve one another in different ways. Different functions, different roles. And of course, some people struggle with the whole God concept because they read about Jesus and they see that he's kind and loving and gracious and merciful. And then they read some of the Old Testament and they read God as vindictive and judgmental and tough and distant. And I understand why you might come to that conclusion. But Jesus is only kind, loving, gracious and merciful because the Father is kind, loving, gracious and merciful. Jesus himself said in John 5, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. So God is, by very nature, a Father and a Son. And that does not mean one is superior and another inferior. They are co-equal in power and glory, eternally equal in every way, but they choose to walk together as father and son. So that nobody's in charge of the other. They just choose to walk together and fulfill different roles out of their choice. It's a relationship of equals to serve each other in particular ways. And it's really important because sonship is about understanding right relationship with God and one another. To be a son is to learn to operate in healthy biblical relationships with God and one another. And the father and son are examples of what that looks like. Next one, Sam. Oh, there we go. No, it's all right. You can go back. So the father and son operate in a relationship of equals to serve each other in particular ways. That's what happens in the Godhead. So the father sends the son. The son is obedient to the father. So the father says, son, we've got a problem on the earth. We need to go down and sort the problem out. The son says, that's fine. I'll go and sort the problem out. You stay here, dad. Father's not bossing son around, and son's not telling dad what to do. They are agreeing what to do together in a relationship of equals. Which is really important when you come to mirror that on the earth and start to think about earthly relationships. Because every earthly relationship is a relationship of equals to serve each other in particular ways. It has to be so. If it's to reflect father and son, it has to be so. But, so that means that I, me and Paul are equal before God. Well, he's my spiritual dad, he cares for me, he looks after me. 
But that means I serve him in particular ways and he serves me in particular ways, of which we both understand. But he is not higher than me, in God's view, because we're all the same. I just choose to serve him in a particular way and he serves me in a particular way. And it's really important because lots of people start thinking that some, that means somebody's in charge of somebody else or they're going to boss somebody else around or they're going to say this and that. No, the Father and the Son are equal. And anything that does not reflect that does not reflect the heart of the Father. <coughs> it doesn't reflect the heart of the Father. And of course, people have used this and then misused it because they've not understood that it's about being equal but serving one another in different ways. It's a really important foundation of everything. And it, like I say, it's a model for those who are mothers and fathers, sons and daughters, are called to a relationship of equals. And I think that works in the family as well. My sons are equal to me before God. But I serve them in particular ways. They serve me in particular ways. Whether that's naturally or spiritually, it's just the same. I'm not above them or over them to lord it over them. Jesus specifically said, don't do that. No, we're equal before God. He loves us both the same. But we are going to serve each other in different ways. When it's healthy, that's how it works. The problems come when somebody decides they're going to be over somebody and they're going to make somebody serve them in the way they want to be served. Okay. How does the father feel about the son? You'll enjoy this. The father loves the son deeply and passionately. He cherishes him above all. As far as the father is concerned, there is no one like his son Jesus. He is the apple of his eye. He watches over him and holds him in loving, tender embrace. Nothing is too good for his son. The father entrusts all things to the son, including all judgment. And as far as... As far as the father is concerned, the son is so central, so important to all that the father is, that unless a man receives the son, he can't come to the father. The son's that important. That he says, if you don't receive my son, you can't come to me. He's the apple of his eye. He's the most wonderful thing ever. That's what the father, God, thinks about the son, Jesus. How does the son feel about the father? Well, Jesus loves and reveres his father honouring him in all things and above all things, and chooses only and ever to live for his father. He came into the world in obedience to his father and lived his whole life on the earth in that same submitted obedience. He was totally surrendered to the will of his father. For the son, the father, is the centre of all things. And Jesus constantly pointed people to his father and away from himself. And he would spend many hours and long nights seeking his father, longing to return to him in glory, they are completely devoted to one another. Isn't it beautiful? And they serve each other in separate ways, but they're equal. Now, this is where it gets good. Let's go back to John 17 and verses 22 and 23. Jesus says this, I have given them the glory that you gave me so they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Okay, let's unpack these words. So Jesus, it seems, received some glory from his Father because it says, I've given them, that's you, the glory that you give me. So Jesus got some glory from the Father 
And then it seems he's given you that glory. So whatever that means, God put it on Jesus and then Jesus put it on you. So whatever glory God put on Jesus, Jesus put it on you. We'll get back to that in a minute. The reason he gave us that glory is that so we may be one as he and the Father are one. And then he says something profound. I in them and you in me. Okay, hang on a minute. So, Jesus says, I'm going to be in them. And then he says, the Father's already in me. So the Father's in Jesus. And then Jesus is in you. Which means, next one, Matt. That Jesus is in you, and the Father's in Jesus. Which means everything of the Father and everything of the Son is in you. The fullness of the Father and the fullness of the Son lives in you. Which means everything you need to be both a father, mother, and a son, daughter is already in you. And it was interesting because just as as fair, she sang the verse, every doubt and fear us. Yeah, that was a line. And just moments before she sang that line, I was just thinking about my own role as a father. And feeling, I've come a long way, but I'm not quite there yet. And I felt God instantly say to me, son, lay that doubt down. Lay it down. Because I've put everything to the Father in you. All you have to do is lay it out now. The heart of the Father's in you. You've just got to lay it out more. You've just got to deal more and more with those things that stop it flowing out of you. As ever. But, but Jesus, these are the, this is not the words of Paul. This is the words of Jesus himself. He says quite clearly, everything of the Father and everything of the Son is in you and in me. You have all the invisible instruction that is necessary to be like the Father and like the Son. But of course as we'll explore later on in the next few weeks, you're responsible for creating the conditions for that seed to grow and for those values and mindsets of the father and the son to be expressed through you. And first you have to learn to be a son before you can learn to be a father or a mother. But the reason you have the DNA of the father and the son deposit in you is so we may be brought together to complete unity with him and with one another. Can you imagine being one with Jesus? And of course, it will happen when you get to glory eventually. But, but it can happen now. You can be more at one with him. You can be great, greater oneness with him and the Father now. Oh, it's just fireworks everywhere in my head, honestly. But I want to finish by, look, what does it mean then? For Jesus to, what's this thing about glory? What's that mean? Is it some great big fire going on or some scary mountain? Well, have you got the last slide there? The, the word glory is the word doxa, which means opinion, judgment, view, or an estimate, whether good or bad. But in the New Testament, always a good opinion concerning one resulting in praise, honor, and glory. Oh, hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. So, Jesus said, the glory the Father gave me, the opinion the Father has about me. Shall I read it to you again? Let me read it to you again. The Father loves the Son deeply and passionately. He cherishes him above all. As far as a father is concerned, there is no one like his Son. 
He is the apple of his eye. He watches over him and holds him in loving, tender embrace. Please get this. Nothing is too good for his son. The father entrusts all things to the son. As far as the father is concerned, the son is so central, so important to all that the father is that unless a man receives the son, he cannot come to the father. That is the opinion of the father about the son. And the son said he just gave it to you. Which means the opinion of the father is his opinion of you. That's what he means when he says, I gave them my glory. It means the opinion of God about me. God, you really think it about them. You've just got to let it sit on you a little bit there. And then he makes it even clearer with the last phrase. Just go back to, no, back, 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 back. Yeah. Then you will know the world and have loved them even as you have loved me. Hang on a minute. Surely the father has a favourite. It seems not. Because it says just as much. Now this I find fascinating. My natural kids and those who relate to me as a spiritual father are all convinced somebody else is the favourite. <laughs> all of them are convinced somebody else is the favourite. They are, it's true. Oh, you love so-and-so more than me. They're all convinced about it, all of them. All of them. But listen. The Father loves you as much as he loves his own son. His own begone son. And you've got to just let it sink in a little bit. He must do. Otherwise, how can you be a co-heir with Christ? How can you be seated with him in the heavenly realms? How can you be called a brother? Oh, yeah, but I'm just a black sheep brother. No, no, you're not. Listen, go to that last slide. This is what John Alley says in his book. I love it. In his eyes, the Father's eyes, you are as cherished as Jesus, as wanted as Jesus, as rejoiced over and as passionately felt about as Jesus, and as acceptable in his presence as Jesus. That's what it means to be adopted as sons. You have the same status as Jesus, the Son of God. Now, for those of you who go, yeah, right, shut that thought down and say, thank you. We go. That's what you've got to do, you see. Now I know it's a bit mind blowing, isn't it? It's a bit like, oh, I'm not sure about that one. Yeah, I wasn't sure about it until I started sat there and I saw it. And there's, a, there's tons of other places I can show you it from, but I, I won't keep going on and on about it. Just for now, go flipping out, really? Is that what it means? Do you see now why sonship is so important? If you could realize that the Father loved you like the Son, your world would be transformed. If you understood the power of his love for you, that the same love he had for his son Jesus, his only begotten son, is exactly the same love he has for you. You are not a second-class son, a second-rate son. You're not an outcast son. You are on the inheritance list. You are a co-heir and an equal with the son. That is you. And we are going to get that this year. We're going to get it more and more. And I'm going to get it more than anybody. Yes! You see, that was the wrong response. The wrong response would be, no, I'm going to get it more than you. But never mind, you're all lost. <laughs> but you see, you see, for many, this is what you have to do more and more. Because of course, all of us, and this is the battle in our minds, which we know about, we hear that and we go, mm, yeah, whatever, or even worse, okay? I, I understand that. But this is what you've got to train yourself to do. For the past... 12 years, probably, that Faye and I have been together all together. I've told her that she's beautiful. 
And initially, she'd kind of look at me as though I was stupid. Um, but I just kept going, and I still keep going now. And then I said, sweetheart, this is what you've got to do. You just, if you can't agree with me just yet, just say thank you. And she's trained herself to say thank you. And now when I say it, she will say thank you without thinking about it. She doesn't even just go, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Soon she'll go, she'll turn around to me and go, damn right. That's my prayer. That's my prayer. That's my prayer. I shall celebrate that day. Well, she's come on a massive journey of it. But because she started just going, thank you. Because I realized some, for some people to say, yes, I am, is like a bit too far of a stretch. I realized that. Some of you, that's a stretch for you to say, yes, I am. Okay, well, you, but if, if saying yes, I am is too far of a stretch, just say thank you. It's at least a positive affirmation rather than a negative one. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to read these words again. Are you ready to say thank you? In his eyes, in the Father's eyes, you're as cherished as Jesus, as wanted as Jesus, as rejoiced over and as passionately felt about as Jesus, and as acceptable in his presence as Jesus. This is what it means to be adopted as sons. You have the same status as Jesus, the Son of God. Thank you, Jesus. Oh. Honestly. But this is why it's so important, you see, and why, why it's possible to have the DNA of a son inside of you but never attain to the full measure of it. Being a son means that you're on a journey of knowing this truth deep in your heart. Not as a truth on a page, but as a truth in your own heart. The wonderful thing is that you can know this truth in your own heart. You already have the seed of sonship and you have the, the, the heart of the Father as well. And of course, as we go through, I don't know how long it's going to take me, but we're going to talk about keys, about how to cultivate the field of your heart so that sonship can grow. We're going to look at David and the life of David and see how it's got nothing to do with the quality of the father, but all to do with the quality of the heart of the son. Because David's dad was Saul, who tried to kill him a number of times. And David was known as the man whose heart was after God, so it can't be much to do with those who have gone before. Of course, it's helpful to have somebody who loves you and is with you, but it's not actually completely dependent on that. But first of all, first of all, we've got a journey to make this year and just really grounding ourselves in what it means to be sons and daughters to Jesus. Could it be that we could grasp in greater truth that he loves us like he loves Jesus? Could we allow ourselves to grasp that truth? Tell you what, it will transform your thinking. And it will transform lots of doubts and fears and worries and anxieties. Because you know what? When you know you love like that, What else really matters? What else really matters? Let's pray, shall we? Thank you, Father. I want to thank you, Jesus, that you have given us the spirit of sonship, that you have adopted us as sons, Father. And Lord, I thank you that there are no second-rate sons and daughters, Father. There are no black sheep sons and daughters, Lord. There are just sons and there are daughters. All equal, Father. All equal together, Father. I thank you that I 
am equal with all my brothers and sisters here and all around the world, Father. I am no lower and I am no higher. I am equal with them before you. And I thank you that you don't have any favourites. You don't have any special ones. You love us each with exactly the same love as you love your only begotten Son, Jesus. And I am asking, Father, I am asking, Lord, that that truth, as revealed by you today, Father, would drip into our hearts more and more. Father, for those of us who are already on this journey and know much of your love, Father, we want to go deeper, Lord. We want to know more what it means to be a son to you, Jesus. To you, Father, sorry. We want to know what it means to be a co-heir with Christ and to sit in the heavenly realms. What does that actually mean, Lord? And Father, for those of us who are, who are a little bit further behind on the journey, who the thought of being equal to Jesus is just mind-boggling ridiculous, Father, for those people, I thank you, Lord, that you have placed your spirit of sonship within them. And Lord, I ask, Lord, that by your grace and your love, Father, that the many reasons that we carry in our minds, Father, that, that cause us to battle hugely with that thought, that you would just melt them away, Father. I'm asking, Lord, <laughs> I'm asking for climate change in our minds, Father, that there would be a melting of those glaciers, Father, a melting of those icebergs, Father, that our minds would start to warm up with your love, Jesus, and our hearts would warm up with your love, Father, and those blockages and those things, Father, would melt away, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. See why I had a good time, eh? I got all that first. Oh, it was so good. And there's lots more goodness to come. So listen. I want to encourage you two things. First of all, please keep praying for Laura. Please keep lifting her up, declaring those words. Peace, calm, assurance, acceptance, restoration, healing. And we'll pray for her on Tuesday night. We'll pray for her on Wednesday morning. We'll, we'll keep praying. But also, let's keep praying. Just those, that, that quote from that book, I'm going to put on the weekly. Put it somewhere. Read it somewhere. Thank God for it somewhere. Some of you need to just meditate on those words. Because it's all brought up out of Scripture. I didn't, I didn't read all the Bible verses, but it's all in there. Um, and just meditate on the truth of it. Okay. Thank you so much that you continue to choose to be a part of our family. I feel very honoured and blessed to share life together and walk together and journey together and fight together and win together and celebrate together and all that. Let's keep, shall we do with that, okay? Okay. God bless. Take care.